Hello, everybody. This is Nico Scopoliti with the Basic Business Thinking Podcast, brought to you by theconciliary.com. Today, we're going to discuss the suppressed elements of daily success, a six-part structure that is designed to answer the question, how do I ensure that each day is meaningful and effective toward achieving real success in my business? If you've ever felt trapped in the day-to-day, wondering if you are making progress or just wasting time, this episode is for you. Before we jump into that, a little context. The purpose of our series, Basic Business Thinking, is to get business people thinking in a different way about their work. Most business people spend the vast majority of their time thinking about the work they do within their business, but not about the business itself. But thinking only about your next deal or your next project won't get you there. As Michael Gerber might say, don't just work in your business, work on your business. That's the kind of thinking, basic business thinking, that can generate transformational change and help you secure your business's future. I'm here with the conciliary himself, Pasquale Scopoliti, and today's subject is the suppressed elements of daily success. Everything we achieve in life is built on the accumulated successes of our days. So what are the suppressed elements of daily success? It's a great question, and I thank you for asking it, Nico. There are six of them that I've been able to identify over the years of my coaching and study and actual execution of them myself. I don't know that I have the best names, but here they are. Number one is waking up. Number two, visualizing, as in visualizing the day. Number three, starting, as in actually getting started. Number four, finishing. Number five, assessing, that is looking back over the day, assessing the day. And then number six is falling asleep. Now, all of these are absolutely natural in their own right. So they kind of like automatically occur no matter what. So when we talk about the suppressed elements of a successful day, it's the fact that there is ancient knowledge about each of these six things that we really do have access to. And that there's the question, how? How do I do each one of these things in the best possible way? It is this ancient knowledge of how to do each of these six seemingly automatic functions in the best possible way that has been suppressed. Well, how how do you distinguish between what you're about to present as the, the right way to do it, the most powerful, the most empowering way to do it, and what people usually do? Well, again, it's in that word automatic. All six of these things either happen automatically if they happen at all, or they don't. I mean, you automatically wake up in the morning. You automatically fall asleep at night. Those are absolutely obvious. But whether or not you consciously visualize or just automatically visualize, you definitely visualize. There is no day that is unvisualized. But whether you know how to do so consciously and as a dedicated practice, that's a different matter. Now, what is not automatic on this list is numbers three and four. People do not automatically start their performance day and they do not automatically finish them. And so those two can absolutely not occur. There is, again, an automatic assessment. You do it unconsciously, you do it subconsciously, and often very self-destructively. So the fact that you can learn the art of assessing your day consciously, purposefully, and in a manner that is self-empowering, that 
has been suppressed. How is starting and finishing not, you know, 9 a.m., 5 p.m.? Well, that's really easy to answer. How many people are actually starting their performance day at 9 a.m.? Many may show up at work maybe a little before that or exactly at 9. Many may have shown up at work at 7 or 7.30, with 9 o'clock being the formal start moment. But what are they exactly doing at 9? So in the recruiting world, if you were to call 9 the starting moment, are you actually ready to make your first phone call? at nine o'clock? Or are you gonna be messing around? Are you gonna be online? Are you gonna be checking out emails? Whatever it is that you're doing in a completely chaotic and unthought through, non-dedicated manner. Compare that to an Olympic race, like a sprint. Think of Hussein Bolt. You know, he's there at the Olympics. He bends down into his stance. How much is there involved in that stance? How much is there involved in his spiritual preparation? He's got these whole hand movements, his head movements. He's got this everything that he does to prepare before he gets down into that stance. And then there's the silence. And then there's the gunshot. And they're off. How many recruiters or any kind of business person start their performance day with that kind of seriousness? Well, there's, there's what you were describing is a, is a ritual. Um, you, you see it in baseball when... When someone steps up to bat, they'll go through a series of motions and movements that they that they do every time in order to get them into that mode, into that you know that 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 readiness to perform. Absolutely, yes. So, with these six elements, these six suppressed elements, you went through them: waking up, visualizing, starting, finishing, assessing, and falling asleep. Where should we start? By way of the ancient traditions, we should start with the last one, number six. Tell me about falling asleep. There is a new term that I'll give to you when it comes to falling asleep, and we'll talk about falling asleep again. We're going to break falling asleep into two different parts. So we're going to talk, there is falling asleep that ties to the assessing, step five. Uh, you know, you assess after the finish of your day. You also assess just before you fall asleep, but we'll talk about that later. The part we're going to talk about right now first, the right place to begin in its new terminology is called lucid dreaming. And we will provide a link to some work by Ray Kurzweil, one of the brightest minds of the 20th and 21st centuries, uh, who discusses lucid dreaming. What is lucid dreaming? It's how you consciously set a purpose for your sleep, for your dream time through the night, as you fall asleep at night. Now, there's another association we should bring in here. We don't need a link for it, uh, but it's Napoleon Hill's work in Think and Grow Rich. He talks about your definite purpose. Now, again, let's come back to recruiting. What is your definite purpose? purpose as a recruiter. Well, if you've joined our talent broker program, your definite purpose is to grow your billings from a, a high so far of $200,000 or thereabout all the way up to four hundred. Any recruiter should always be considering doubling their billings. Now, if that is your definite purpose, it should absolutely be the last thing you think about 
before you fall asleep. And you need to visualize that with me right now. You need to see yourself having done all, you know, you brushed your teeth, you did all of your whatever preparations are before you get into bed. You're laying there in bed, but you're not asleep yet. You've just allowed your eyes to shut. So you're in that almost like pre-dream state. You're like, you know, your your breathing is slowing down. Your body temperature, you, yeah, I know you don't think about these things, but your body temperature is starting to cool down just a little bit. And you are getting, you're nodding off to sleep, but you're not asleep yet. It is in that moment where if you will recall your definite purpose, as we've said in this example, doubling your placements, that sets in mode, sets in motion, a mode of thinking that will penetrate your dreams so that you actually set the challenge of coming to terms with all the steps and actions you need to take, not only in the coming day, but in the weeks and months and even years to come, to live up to that definite purpose. And it will absolutely enter into your dream work through the night. Let me ask you, Nico, do you think I should talk to people about the term dream work? Probably briefly. Just to give us a definition of dream work. It seems like when you're you're dreaming, you're you're unconscious, you're not in control of what's going on, so so how do, how do you work while you dream? For that, we do have to talk a little bit about the human mind. The unconscious mind, which has complete control of your dreaming at night, does not live by the laws of everyday existence, right? So gravity is suspended and you can fly through the air. Uh, time is suspended. You go back and forth in time. You can walk through walls, you know. So, so all the laws of physics are not there in your dreams, which is a huge part of the power of our nightly dreaming. We are released from all the constraints. So think of out-of-the-box thinking in the business world. Everybody's familiar with thinking out-of-the-box. Well, the ultimate place where you can do that is in your dreams at night because there is no box anymore in your dreams at night. The part that people don't know is that for all of this suspension of all the normal laws and limits, there's still a connection to your conscious mind. There is a bridge between your unconscious mind and your conscious mind that in your dream life can be established. So the idea of dream work is that your conscious mind can communicate with the unconscious in such a manner as to offer real-world problems for imaginative, dreamful, if I can use that word, dreamful attack. And so let, let's talk about one other element. All children in their dreams face monsters. Well, there have been societies that have come to terms with this where they teach children to take weapons, dream weapons, into their sleep at night. So they visualize the weapon, be it a sword or a bow and arrow or a spear or whatever it may be. So they visualize it before they fall asleep at night. And then they call out for their weapon, having given it a name, which is an ancient tradition. We give our weapons names like Excalibur, etc. So you call out for the weapon. Parents teach children to call out for the weapon in the night when the monsters show up. And they teach children to, in their dreams, slay the monster. Well, dream work is perhaps a slightly less glamorous or romantic version. It's just Whatever the challenges you are facing right now in your real life and world are, your performance challenges can be thrown down to your unconscious for work 
through the night in your dreams. And I want to reference here, the link we'll be providing to Ray Kurzweil's work again on the idea of lucid dreaming, which is roughly defined as with some form of consciousness entering into the unconscious process of your dreams. So starting with the sixth element here, the, the, the falling asleep element, the outcome of that, the work that you're doing is to influence your dreams so that you are doing a type of work within your dreams that supports your ultimate mission and success? Influence seems a little bit um, ego-driven and purposeful and logical. I would say more to engage and maybe even to access and come to build a communication between your conscious mind and your unconscious mind. And if you want to turn to step one, waking up, I think we can make a connection here and it'll make it clearer. Let's do that. All right. So picture now you're waking up in the morning. Some light is like coming in through your window. Uh, and by the way, I oppose alarm clocks, as does uh, Ray Kurzweil, as you'll see. Uh, you want to wake up naturally and you want to access your actual body rhythms. You really do have them. Circadian rhythms. Uh, what's the other word? Diurnal, daily rhythms. At any rate, they're there. Your body has natural rhythms. And learning how to wake up without an alarm clock is vastly superior. Why? Because if it's sunlight that has come in and starts to play upon your eyes a little bit, and if you've had enough sleep through the night, you start to roll around a little bit, that means you're in that pre-waking state, and this is critical. It is in the pre-waking state that your dreams are still accessible to your consciously aware mind, although it's hardly even awake yet, and so you haven't lost all the dreams and the dream inspiration of the night. If you use an alarm clock to wake up, that blaring sound can absolutely shut down all recollection of dreams. Here's another really important part. Everyone dreams every night. People don't know this. I mean, if you've studied it, everybody knows this. The science is absolute. There are all the stages of REM, be it four stages or five stages, depending on which authority you're reading. And uh, dream is absolutely a necessary function for the sanity of the human mind. We also know this from torture and from breaking people that they break their sleep. And sleep deprivation is one of the most powerful tools in breaking you know, a witness or a terrorist or somebody that you're trying to get information out of. We know that the loss of dream time is one of the most intensely violent things you can do to the human mind in its normal functioning. So you can think of dreaming as a type of um, cleaning system for your mind, a rebalancing for your mind. Everyone dreams every night. Yet in my coaching over the decades, I have found countless clients who will tell me emphatically, oh, I never dream. Now, that means they don't remember their dreams because everyone dreams every night. And if you didn't, you would literally go insane very, very rapidly. I believe it's about three to five days of continuous sleep deprivation that have such a dramatic impact on your functioning that it's like night and day uh, compared to normal functioning. So dreaming is clearly a normal function and we know this scientifically, we're not guessing. So we can say this is new knowledge, if you will. We know you dream every night. Why do so few of us remember them? Partly it's that whole alarm clock thing I was just talking about. Well, let, me, let me stop you right there because 
not to divert us from the from the deep the deep work that we're doing here, but you're losing me on a technical point. Without an alarm clock, I will naturally wake up at the crack of noon. How, you know, how do people who don't naturally just awaken with the sun or at a at a at a time that is conducive to their workday learn to do this? It, it, it seems for people like me, like I can't imagine it. I love that question a lot. And my first answer is maybe we need to redesign your workday. Maybe all this work that you're doing after you awaken at your alarm is less productive. Uh, we know from, from studies of high school students that the fact that the bus comes at 6.30 or 7 o'clock in the morning is the worst possible daily rhythm for high school students. It's miserable. It's absolutely miserable. Their bodies are not designed for it. And what kind of learning is going on in that 8 or 8.30 a.m. class? So what if we were to redesign your day so that your day could start between 12 or 1 p.m. or whatever. Maybe you're in a biorhythm that informs that all of your work from, say, 7 or 8 a.m. until 12 is vastly less than what you're capable of. So my first response is, why does the day have to begin by some alarm clock-driven moment? Maybe that's exactly the wrong thing to do. Now, I know that all the owners of recruiting shops right now are freaking out listening to me think about having their recruiters come in at 1 or 2 p.m. in the afternoon. But I propose it's something we might consider. Now, for people who aren't suffering the way you are relative to that alarm clock at 8 a.m., because a lot of, them, a lot of us don't, sure. I don't, sure. um, it's a question of when you fall asleep at night, the number of hours that you productively need for your sleep, and the normal or natural organic moment when you would wake up. But let me step away from all of that and, and go back to your initial question. What is the difference between it automatically happening and getting it right, if you will? And the most fundamental difference is decision you actually have to think it all through. And you have to recognize that there is an art to waking up. Yes, you're going to wake up the way you automatically do or have built into your practice for your whole life so far. But is that the best way? And let's go, I'm sorry, again, a step deeper into ancient spiritual traditions now. Waking up is simply the most universal of all spiritual objectives. All spiritual traditions, especially in their meditative or mystical elements, identify that the human mind tends to just fall asleep and we sleepwalk through our lives. So that spiritual awakening has been known by all meditational and religious spiritual traditions throughout thousands of years to be something not to be assumed. And so in every day that you literally or physically wake up, this is, for any serious spiritual tradition, a type or a symbol, if you will, of spiritual awakening. And what we really do want, be it from a religious perspective or more pra pragmatically, more practically, from a performance perspective, like, again, in recruiting, making placements, you want, in that moment you wake up, to have as close to a crystal clear vision of the steps of action required for successful placement making as you can possibly have. 
And you want it that moment you wake up. You want it before your coffee. You want it before all of the other stuff you do. You want it before your morning commute. And most important of all, you want it before step three, starting. How many people start their daily recruiting practice without any form of mental or spiritual awakening? And to what degree are they just walking through the day, you know, uh, playing it by the numbers, filling out the steps of whatever their check sheet is without the force of their spiritual being engaged in each activity? So you're falling asleep thinking about it. You're waking up thinking about it. How do you distinguish between elements one and two? It, it sounds to me like you're already visualizing upon waking up. Is there is there a disparate function? There is a disparate function, and for that we got to back up to the number one again. You're not waking up visualizing, although when we attain true performance mastery, they're all there instantly because you all you already know all the actual steps. And so the moment you awaken, those steps are crystal clear. But there is a difference between that and the visualizing that we'll get to. Let's go back, though, to the number one step, the waking up. And so there you are in your bed, rolling around. Your eyes are still shut, and that's very important. Your eyes are still shut. You still have maximum access to your conscious memory of the dreams of the night. Think about those dreams that you have remembered. They have a freshness factor. It's maybe, if you're lucky, about 15 minutes typically. So from the moment that your eyes first open up until the moment that you've completely forgotten all your dreams of the night, you got about maybe 10 or 15 minutes. If during that time you were to have a uh, notebook right there by your bed. Sigmund Freud is the one who developed this methodology where he had a notebook where he would wake up in the middle of the night or when he would wake up in the morning and he would write down his dreams instantly because he knew that the human mind is absolutely designed in a normal natural mode to forget your dreams of the night. That forgetting is actually a very good thing. You really don't want to remember all of your dreams. Most especially you don't want the depths and darkness of your nightmares, you know, uh, covering your day with a blanket of depression and destructive influence, right? So there are demons in our dreams, and we are designed to forget our dreams in significant part because of that. And yet there are aspects of our dreams that we want to remember. So a dream journal, the ability to immediately write down notes from your dreams is something that Freud did. I myself have never succeeded with that practice. I've tried it many times. I just, I can't get myself to do the writing. But where I have succeeded personally is in paying attention not so much to the dreams as to how they inform me. And I'll make reference again to Kurt Swale's link that we'll be providing. He has, I think, something of a similar approach. I feel a great accord with his approach where it's not so much the dream itself as what it indicates. So I wake up having had dreams that I often really don't remember clearly, but having a clarity of knowledge about what I'm going to do today. And that what I'm going to do today is the important thing that I recall that, that, that was inspired through the night. So that, that inspiration and that empowerment that, as, as Kurt Swale talks about, the problem solving of the night, that to me is the most important part. 
Now, there are times when the dreams themselves, with all of their uh, romantic and psychological and relational, even personal history or prophetic future elements, are very powerful. Those need to be written down. And a few times through my life, maybe five or six times, maybe more, I have remembered dreams vividly, and I have written them down detail, point by point by point, and I can tell you those were transformational experiences for me. So that's more the remembering of the night than it is the seeing of the day. Yes? Yes. All right, last point. Now, before you've gotten out of bed, let's just say you've had a a Kurzweil-like, just kind of like vague remembering. The one thing that comes closest to visualizing, but we'll talk about the difference in a second, um, is simply seeing with clarity, if you can, the most important thing for the coming day. And that really is a different thing than the visualizing, I assure you. We'll talk about that in a second, right? What is the most important thing for your coming day? That is one of the most important and powerful questions you can ask of your dream life. Do you follow me on that? Well, the most important thing. I mean, it could be, that could be very big. It could be very small. It could be strategic. It could be tactical. What 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 is... Can you, can you better define thing for me? Well, I can, except you just did a fantastic job. It's any of the above, and maybe even all of them. It doesn't have to be linear and clearly defined logically. Um, let me give you an example. I will, on a full day, have four client sessions. Uh, on a full coaching day. On many days, I will have sales and prospecting activities. And on many of those days, I will know the single most important prospect where I'm closest to closing a new client to get started with me formally and, you know, to send us money to get started, right? I will often know that the day before, maybe even longer. I'll know when that's going to be coming. And even if I don't know in advance, Often in the night, it will make itself clear to me, ah, this is the one person where if we get it right, they're going to get started. If I mess up, I'm going to prevent a client from getting started that would have gotten started otherwise. And I will awaken with, and, and I often don't have the logical foundation for it. It's just an inner knowing that this is where my work must focus today. Now, I'm going to do everything else to the best of my ability. I'm not going to short shrift my work in any area. And it doesn't mean that one client is more important than another or one pro. But when there is a challenge that has most immediate impact on practical performance, that will often make itself clear to me in some kind of like mysterious way through the night. And I wake up knowing, I have this opportunity right now today. This is the one where I'm going to invest everything I've got. And it'll be that that's clear in my mind. So starting then, you've, you've, you've visualized the day, you've identified your... What, am I skipping ahead? Yeah, we haven't done the visualizing yet. That's number two. All we just did was waking up. And although there's a tremendous visual element, that comes basically from the dreaming and maybe from the clarity of a single most important thing. The step two of visualizing has a great deal more to it than just that one most important thing. So how does that look? You really can't, for me anyway, I have to have had my coffee. Lately tea, because I've been so irritated with the coffee available to me. So I've been doing tea, but I'm not happy about that. At any rate, I'm going to stick with coffee because that's my real. I think everybody, if you're a coffee drinker, 
Before you visualize your day, you need to have had your coffee. You might want to have done some kind of physical exercise. You might want to have done uh, some form of either reading or inspiration or meditating or something. And none of those, I don't want to include all of those in visualizing, although visualizing will kick in during those activities, right? So let's say you're, you're, I've got clients who will get onto a, um, a treadmill and you know run for 15, 20, 30, 45 minutes in the morning. There's a huge element of visualizing that'll be going on while they're on that treadmill. Uh, you know, and maybe they're watching the news, but a part of their mind is seeing the coming day. Regardless of what those specific steps are for any individual, the visualizing that I want to call step two is where you actually look at your plan for the day, whatever it may be. Where you look at the steps that are coming, not just that single most important element that where you want to make your greatest spiritual investment, but all the mundane, even boring, drudgery, all the steps of the day that include the entire day itself. So all the working elements. So again, for a recruiter, uh, the calls in the morning, the calls in the afternoon. Do they have to do research? Do they have to do list building? Are they going to be having meetings? Is there going to be training? What about lunch? Are you going to eat lunch at your desk or are you going to actually go outside? Are you going to take a walk during the day? Do you exercise during your day? What about all the breaks between the blocks of your day? I want all of that to be visually accessible to your mind before you make your first actual endeavor of work. So all of that is literally seeing the entire workday, both the most important and the least important to the best of your ability. So there's a, there's a ritual in falling asleep. There's a ritual in waking up while you're still in bed. There's a ritual as still part of waking up that takes place outside of your bed and then you're in the process of visualization. Well, you say, and then you are. You have to get out of bed, your shower, your coffee, whatever you else you're going to do. Move into the, having performed the, the in-bed ritual, the out-of-bed ritual, you're then, you then move into the actual number two element of visualizing. Absolutely, yes. And in fact, strangely enough, if there was a single change that I would recommend people get started with, it would be this step too. You know, there's a lot involved in learning how to fall asleep at night. And I urge that people become students of performance, performance mastery, and most especially its ancient roots, uh, which we'll talk about more later, I hope, or maybe in another session. At any rate, there's a lot involved in learning how to fall asleep. There's a lot involved in learning how to wake up. And you may not be ready, like your daily schedule tomorrow may not allow you to just sleep naturally till 12 or 1 p.m. You may still have to use your alarm clock at 6 or 7 or 8 or whenever it is you're going to set it for for tomorrow morning. But the one thing that you can begin to work on instantaneously is number two. You can actually, no matter what your sleep rhythms are, or your dream life is, or your spiritual discipline is, every person can dedicate time. So let's say that your day is supposed to formally get started at 9. You can get started at 8.30. You can move all your little stuff around. You can line stuff up on your computer or whatever. And then you can have 5, 10, 15 minutes where you don't take action where you don't write emails, where you don't read emails, where you're not listening to the news, and where you look in your mind's eye at your day. Or if you've got a written or an on-screen schedule, 
You look at the schedule, but then you turn inward and you turn your mind's eye to visually, visualizing, giving your absolute best to both the most important as well as the least important of all of these efforts coming. If there's a single transformation that I would recommend people take away from this podcast, it would be committing to step two because anyone can do that. It is simply a decision and it's perhaps the least complicated of all of these different arts. So within that, those few minutes, it sounds, I mean, that's, that's all you need. You need maybe five minutes without doing anything else. You're just sitting there almost uh, meditating on your day. Yes. And are you, are you planning it out or are you, are you just, I mean, is it, is it seeing it in your mind's eye? What's going to take place when, or what, what is the five minutes? It's the second and not the first. For this to work, there has to be some kind of planning function that is done other than during these five or 10 or at most 15 minutes. So let's say you haven't planned your day and your day is supposed to start at nine o'clock. You can't show up at 845. If you still have to plan your day, then you got to show up at 8, 815. Now, if you've got a very mechanical planning process, maybe you could show up as late as 830. Finish your rapid mechanical planning process by 8.15. But it's still, it's got this whole pressured and rushed feeling to me. So I recommend that whatever your planning investment is, that needs to be done at some other time. In Management Recruiters International doctrine going back to the late 60s and early 70s, they planned from 4 p.m. to 5 p.m every day of the world. For many years, I opposed that because I thought people couldn't care less about the plan they did before, that that a plan would be destroyed through the night of sleep. But I ended up finding I was wrong because there are these two elements of planning. There's the mechanical element and then there's the visualization or what we might call the spiritual element. There's a commitment involved and definitely a visualization. So using the old school MRI practice of an entire hour of planning done from 4 p.m. to 5 p.m., then you're absolutely prepared for at whatever point in time you come in, again, using the nine o'clock hour, you really can go over the planning that you finished at five the night before from say 8.45 till 8.55, or for just those five minutes, 8.45 to 8.50, and you will have actually visualized your entire day. Now, again, I don't, for number two, I don't want to tie that to the necessity to plan at 4 p.m. I'm not making that necessity. So if you're a morning planner, then you just have to get up early enough to do the mechanical part, leaving yourself enough room to enter into this visualization process, not equating mechanical planning with visualizing. At that point, are you ready to start? Yes and no. Yes. If you only make number two change, you're going to start much better and you're going to perform much better. If number two is the only change you make, it will immediately improve your performance. There's no question whatsoever about it. But visualizing and starting are not the same thing. Starting is a different thing. Let's go back to Hussein Bolt. There's a gunshot. And what's involved? What's the science? What's the art of him getting off of those blocks with maximum acceleration so they can complete seven seconds worth of running to get, you know, however far down the uh, race until he's going over the uh, the finish tape, right? 
what's involved in that actual start. So the start happens at the gunshot. Um, as you might recall from our time with the Boston Higashi School with your brother Anthony, uh, the best school in the world for training autistic children, they had at the beginning of every endeavor, they would throw their arms up in the air with their fists clenched, right? Uh, like the Rocky position, and they would shout out, we can do it. That was always at the beginning of everything. There needs to be a way that when you start, uh, here, let me turn it into a single phone call. For me, you shouldn't start a single phone call without crystal clarity of what your purpose for the call is and how you're going to provide such extraordinary value that the person on the other end of the line will intelligently recognize that value or you will be able to determine that they weren't so smart. And so I don't know if that's the equal of a Boston Higashi school, we can do it ritual. Um, by the way, one of my great clients, a fellow by the name of Tim Lawler, taught me so many things about the art of recruiting. He had a starting ritual for many years. I don't know if Tim still does it. Does it? I'll have to ask him. Of where they would, after they went over all their stuff, like their mechanical plan, and they would have a morning meeting, they had a ball like a Nerf ball, that like there's six or seven or eight people in the shop, they would stand there and throw the Nerf ball to each other because Tim believed ardently that physical, that getting your respiration and your blood rate up was absolutely necessary before you hit the phones. So that would have been part of the starting in Tim Lawler's shop. I once went to an improv class. It was like the one time I've ever been to one of these classes. And it was a three-hour class. So you're there for the whole evening. But they started with at least an hour of doing exercises, almost exactly as what you described, where you know they, they, they had a tennis ball, and they'd, they'd just pass it around as they were walking around the room, and, and the instructor would have other, other games and, and, and exercises that he'd, he'd, he'd direct everybody to do. And that, that not only kind of broke the ice for us, because... You know, it was my first time, and a number of the other people were were new to it. Um, it also did; it, it, it got you moving, it got the blood flowing, it got your mind active, and you were ready to now move into what is really, you know, it's it's a complex and challenging thing to improvise. Absolutely. Uh, so, so what Tim Lawler was doing that makes sense to me. Um, are you then ready to start? I mean, what what then becomes that 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 seems almost like it's you, you haven't actually started yet. You're, you're still building up to a starting point. Yes, for most people, again, still focusing on recruiters. Although this really does apply to any business activity, most especially any kind of sales activity. If you've got your list that's mechanically been constructed, you've got your visualization of getting through not only that list, but all the other tasks of your day. Or, and you've perhaps had you know, a great boss like Tim, who's built, the, or like your, your teacher at the improv class, who really gets you ready. You actually really are ready. And so the thing is, to get started punctually. So if that nine o'clock is that starting point, you really actually want the phone in your hand, that call, that very first call that you're going to make. And by the way, a lot of people have told me, I've never been 
too sure about this and it's not universal, but a lot of people have told me that it's really good to start with a call where you know somebody's actually gonna be there, take the call, and it's a warm call as opposed to a cold call so that you're not immediately getting into leaving voicemails and other things. I'm not sure about that. Myself, I wanna be ready for any kind of outcome and it feels like a little too being soft on myself if I have like that warm soft. But some people really believe in that. And so I, you know, at any rate, punctuality. Getting started at, again, using our nine o'clock hour, you want the phone in your hand, you want the all your notes necessary, the screen up on your computer, however it is, you know, in your CRM that you're doing this, and you wanna make that call on time. The last thing you wanna do when getting started is procrastinate. And you don't wanna think about getting started. Once you've made the decision to get started on time, actually building that rhythmic practice every day, you never wanna be late to get started. The moment you go late to get started, you obliterate huge elements of your strength, huge elements of what we might call the aggressor's advantage. The person who is aggressing in any situation always has the advantage over the person who is not aggressing. Getting started punctually ensures that you're the one that is reaching out, that you're empowered and you're taking that step and you're training not just your mind or your daily rhythm, but even your body itself, that at nine o'clock every day of the world, you're making that first call. Everything seems to be designed towards that precise moment, starting with element six of falling asleep. Absolutely. The there, then you're, you're dreaming, you're waking up and the various elements there, the, the visualizing, the, even the, the warming up of, of, you know, the, the exercise that you mentioned all leads to that, that point, the, you know, when the gun goes off at the beginning of the race. Exactly. But is there anything else to... One other thing. This, you know, I know this whole basics lesson we're doing is all very advanced. This is perhaps the single most advanced, believe it or not. Well, nothing could be more advanced than something like spiritual awakening and a spiritual discipline and your religious beliefs or whatever they may be. But when you get started, there should be And this is not something we can expect of a newbie. We can hardly even expect it of a rookie, even even if they've been tremendously successful through their first year. But as you turn into year two, and as you move forward through the life cycle of being a recruiter or a successful salesperson of any form, there is a science that evolves if you pay attention to your numbers. So the causes and effects of a successful sales outcome. Uh, Let's again put it into recruiting terms. How many send-outs are needed for a placement? How many candidate data sheets or how many job orders are needed in order to arrange a submittal and to get a send-out? What is your practical, mundane, maybe even boring drudgery that you have to get through in order to be in a position to inform filling a search? All of this science from cause to effect should also be there in the following atomic manner or holographic manner. What is the impact of a single phone call 
in leading toward a placement. You've, so as you gain advanced knowledge of the science of recruiting, the science of selling and salesmanship and the numbers, the causes and effect, you want in that first call to be crystal clear. No, you may not get a placement or close a deal out of this one phone call, but if you don't make this phone call, you're not going to make a placement. So there's that whole long-term science that goes beyond the, the day, beyond the week, uh, beyond the month, all the way to the quarter and absolutely to the year of your, uh, of your performance. You want that all there for you in that very first call. So that when you're starting, you're kicking into motion what is virtually a certain methodology of success. You want all of that there to the degree you can have it. Now, again, for when you're just getting started, not possible. And so this is something that only emerges over time. Yet the earlier we teach it, the more empowered the newbie getting on the phone for the first time will be. For salespeople and recruiters, it makes sense that that, that unit would be a phone call. What about somebody who's not... You know, who's not making their living on the phone? What a what would that be for a, a freelance writer? Well, uh, that one's actually very easy. It's your first word typed, and so it's and let's use old and I typed. That is an old school word. You know, you put your sheet of paper, your fresh sheet of paper, into your old school typewriter, and there it is, blank. Getting that first word typed, even if it's like I. I had a bad day. And one of the things they taught me in school for uh, composition was to write any kind of sentence. And even it doesn't even have to be a sentence. It could just be words. So you just start like whatever the words are that are in your mind, you start typing to get yourself started. Let me give you another example, though, again, uh, closer to most of our clients in the recruiting world. And that would be somebody who's not ever going to make any phone calls, but like a research assistant. So it would be, say, the decision of a company to research or a kind of profile or whatever the search terms are. If they're going to do a LinkedIn search, it would be the establishment and the getting started of generating research output. Uh, and, you know, I don't know exactly, you know, I'm not too close to that particular art form, but getting online with a focus, a specific focus, say, uh, focusing on the opening that they're going to be searching for talent on, and then actually getting started going over a LinkedIn profile would be an example. Got it. That concludes part one of this week's episode. In part two, we will discuss the next elements of daily success, starting, finishing, and assessing, and then bring it full circle with some final advice for implementing the structure in your day. See you there. 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 Hey everyone, welcome back. This is part two of our two-part episode, The Suppressed Elements of Daily Success. Between number three and number four, there seems to be a whole lot of work. There's a whole lot of your day is going to take place between number three starting and number four finishing why is working not you know number four why aren't there seven elements and we've got working in the four why does it go from starting to finishing that's a really really good question i don't know that i've even thought about it all that much it's kind of assumptive for me and maybe that's the way i can begin my answer it is assumptive for me meaning i think it actually is an acceptable assumption that people if they show up for work at all, they're going to have work to do. Now, they're either going to be completely ignorant, 
in which case it means that the work should be training. Right? You don't know what your work is, then you should be trained in what your work is. And the fact that training is work is a very important but very normal point. When people get started in any new job, they are paid to be trained. That's totally normal. I don't feel like I have to teach the world that. That's pretty much how the world functions. On the other hand, assuming that you're not completely ignorant of what your work is, to be at work at all, if you have even the slightest integrity, you're going to get some work done. On the other hand, if you're at work at all and get no work done, then not only are you out of integrity, you have chosen not to do any work. People that will choose not to do any work are never going to care about these six elements. And so I really do bring the assumption of some form of workmanship, some form of knowledge or training procedure, some form of endeavor. And again, when you look at the recruiting world, we are replete with training. You know, some not so good, some a great deal better. I've known tremendous managers and trainers through the decades I've been serving recruiters that can teach you stuff that blows my mind every time I hear them get into it. They're so good at what they do. Uh, my, my favorite people are the people I call desk side masters. So um, from the network GRN, Jolie Wilson, she may well be in today's world the very best desk side trainer I know of, but there's scores and scores of others. And through the years and the decades of my encounter with management recruiters in in international MRI, they're trainers that would go out into the field, that would sit there with you at your desk. They would teach you how to make a call, how to take a call, every tactical element of your CDS, of your briefing and your debriefing, and they've got all these steps for closing. One of the greatest in my own personal history is a fellow by the name of Larry Engelgau, uh, passed in no oh, sometime in the past year or so, sadly. Uh, he had something called the closing room. He was the great master of the closing room. And he would not let his people close a deal. It, you know, So they've got their candidate. They've got their hiring manager. The whole structure's been set up. They're now ready for both sides to make a decision. And a close has to be made. That's done in the room. That's work. So Larry's sitting there on a speaker box. He's giving them lines or he's getting on the phone. He's closing. This is work. People know how to work. Yeah, it sounds to me that, you know, if you, if you fail to visualize or if you find yourself in a position where you can't visualize because you haven't done the planning, then that's really... That's really what's going to stop you from successfully working in this in between yes. the you know the starting and the finishing anyway. Because if I haven't planned out my day, and then I go to try and visualize it, well, what am I going to visualize? Exactly. I'm going to visualize screwing around. <laughs> so I mean, it, hey, it, let me interrupt you on that point. That's what people actually do. They actually visualize screwing around, but they have no idea that that's what they're doing. Uh, Something that you might recall we've recently worked on is iceberg theory, where 85% of the human mind is unconscious, 15%, give or take, you know, uh, is conscious. And decisions really well up from the part of the iceberg beneath the surface of the water. So that 85% of you is where almost 100% of your visualizing takes place. And so your point couldn't be more well taken. People actually really do, they just don't know it, visualize screwing around. 
So assuming that you have planned out, you visualized, you've actually worked for the entirety of your day, you've gone from starting, now we're at finishing. Tell me about element number four, finishing. This takes us back to the waking up, where for me, what I believe is the most powerful form of human performance is to identify your single most important thing for the day before you get out of bed. When it comes to finishing, you either did it or you didn't. Now, my favorite way of looking at that is you either won or you lost. And so in the moment of finishing, which is a deadline, which needs to be a set moment in time, and the best performance, and this is a huge part of the genius of the old school way of MRI, where at four o'clock, you hang up the phone. Now you're going into your planning, but what's going on in the unconscious, and they really never taught this, to my knowledge, in the old school way of MRI, is that you're judging whether or not you did well or poorly during the day. That there is a judgment. And I want to differentiate, just as we did between visualizing and getting started, there's a differentiating between judging and assessing. We'll make that clear when we get to number five, right? There's, this is, again, in the old school way, this just happened automatically. And because their planning discipline mechanically was so solid, it was so bedrock, you either completed your plan or you didn't. And in not completing your plan, you had a definition of failure. Another old school tactic, and my great friend Bob Marshall is the purveyor of this one, is called, I mean, today he is, uh, the 100 point day. And so those people that in the old school way, you know, had their mechanical plan done from four to five, and then they would keep track during the course of the day of their points. Uh, They had numbers, I forget what it was, Uh, if it was 90 was good enough for victory, or, you know, if there's a line at 70. But, you know, that was always different with different people anyway. So you said, you know, if you were using something like the 100-point day, then you have a black and white definition of of success or failure. Another great teacher of mine, Bob Bassman, had a clear set of parameters so that if you made a placement today, you obviously succeeded. But if you didn't make a placement today, if you got a send out today, then you obviously succeeded. And he went back all the way to the initial steps so that uh, the last one was the beloved and ancient four-hour rule. So that if you were on the phone of four hours of connect time, then you had a... Do you see what I'm saying? Each one of these are all black and white successor failure lines that there is a judgment occurs because you have an hour at which you finish. This is not how most people live. This is not how most people work. Most people live and work with their set of tasks that they're either complete or not, well or poorly structured, and they either leave by a certain moment in time, like no matter what, or they work, 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 work until they're either exhausted or have to get pulled away. But there's never a formal moment of finish. So much in the same way Usain Bolt has his, his gun goes off, that starts the race, it ends when he crosses the finish line, and that has been his performance. That has been, you know, it's, it's clearly delineated, you know, the beginning, you know, the end. Um, and that's why you've specifically said that one of the suppressed elements is the act of actually finishing, bringing it to an end. Absolutely right. And picking up further on what you just uh, said about Hussein Bolt, he either got there first or he lost. 
you know, getting their second, being the first guy after number one, is losing. And so this absolute crystal clarity of victory or defeat is a huge element of what it means to finish. And it's a significant part of why we don't have finish in our day. Because if you say my day, my performance day is finished exactly at four o'clock and I either won or lost, then you have to look to see whether or not you won or lost. And most people would rather do anything else in the world than look to see whether or not they won or lost. And certainly not as a daily ritual. So is this now taking place in number five? No. Assessing? No. Assessing is what happens after a judgment of victory or defeat. So that you may be able to assess your day without that judgment. You can go in, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about the ancient element of that in a moment. But let's, let's stick right now for the moment to the right way to do it. The right way to do it is to have that judgment. So you finish at four, and you either won or you lost. When you move into number five, which is going to be later on, you see that mechanical planning. Sure, there's a lot of conscious going on about assessment, but the mechanical planning from four to five in the old school MRI way is a very intense mental activity, pretty much taking up most of what you've got. That's not when assessment would be occurring. You see what I'm saying? So um, this judgment kind of stands on its own as the ritual element that gives the informational content to number four, finishing, did you win or lose? So in, along the same lines of having a almost like a warm-up exercise before you actually start with that first unit of performance, after you've finished, after you've crossed that line, still within the process of finishing is a judgment as to whether or not the work that took place between the starting and the finishing points was successful. Yeah, think of it as that photo finish. So we can see by, you know, a nanometer whose nose or body went across the finish line before the other guys. There needs to be a photo finish at the end of the day every single day. So you have a judgment at that point. You either yes. did succeed or you didn't succeed. You either succeeded or you failed. And it needs to be as obvious and as black and white, as blatant, and it shouldn't require a whole lot of mental work to be able to determine it. So what would that be in the case of an executive recruiter? Well, probably the greatest one of all is your mechanical list. Did you get through it? So let's say you're not a great recruiter, and let's say you don't have all of these other steps, but you do have the visualizing step that we've worked on today, right? And you've got your mechanical list, you've visualized finishing it. Well, finish it. That's the single most important one. Make those calls. Take your little notes on whatever occurred, even if it was just all voicemail messages for the entire day, which is a pretty rare thing, but it does happen. Know that finishing your plan is victory. What if during the day I get through 80% of my planned calls uh, and some of those calls took longer than I expected? Maybe there were some, you know, some additional information that I got that, that... Awesome. But I didn't actually finish my day before the, the finish line. Well, here again, this is where the science comes in. And the longer you've been doing it and the more attention you've paid to your numbers and built the cause and effects of 
success in recruiting or sales uh, kick in. So is this thing that made you finish only 80%, is it beneficial toward closing a deal? Is it beneficial toward opening a deal? Is it beneficial toward building a relationship? Is it leading you toward those other outcomes? I mean, you don't make placements by finishing your list. So, you know, obviously, if there's a productive endeavor, a deep conversation, a bond that gets built, an opening that is created, a job order taken, a fee agreement negotiated, on and on and on, debriefs from the interviews that you've already scheduled that get in the way of the call list, that's productive. That's all to the good. But if this thing was a dead end of research because you don't know what your desk is and got uh, excited about a whole new area where you could start going and recruiting that had nothing to do with your plan, then that's failure. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about coming to the end of the day, going through the, the process of finishing, which includes the judgment, and you've judged that you failed. Are you then moving into the assessment, the assessing element of the day? I got a little lost in the time sequence you were just stating. Let's use our four o'clock thing. Put that into a time frame for me. Right. At four o'clock, you come to the end of the day and you 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 have to you pass a judgment over your right. day. And then you got an hour of mechanical planning. And at some point, though, you've you've already judged that it was right. That four. was at four o'clock. Okay. So okay. you got an hour of mechanical planning, at which point you leave the office. You leave the office? Yes. All right, so where do you do your assessing? Not in the office. At home? Yes. Okay. And or somewhere else. It doesn't have okay. to be at home. But I want you to break from your day before you engage. I want the day to be over, done. I don't believe that a successful assessment takes place at the office. I... I haven't taught this well enough over the decades, but I've come to believe it, especially maybe even over just the past year, Nico, more than ever before, that there is an absolute break required before the assessment aspect of the human mind can kick in from the day. Oh, and you know what? There was a critical element of the finishing that I forgot, and it comes again from the Olympics and from ABC's wide world of sports, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat at four o'clock. The better you are at finishing, the more truly and without any stretch or effort, you are taken over by thrill if you succeeded and by absolute agony if you were defeated. These are empowering emotions, both of them. People don't understand this. They are good for you, both of them. Learning that you can take the agony and learning that that agony is often a part of empowering your progress and actual learning on how to do your work successfully is something people don't really understand. And so why did I have to give you that right now? Because be it the thrill of victory, and then I want you to go out and celebrate and have a great steak dinner and uh, have a martini and enjoy yourself. I don't want you assessing yet. Now, not too many martinis because then, you know, you won't be able to do any assessing. But there is a celebration that follows victory, whatever form. It could be just a walk. You know, it doesn't have to be a meal. It could be anything. But I want you to celebrate today's victory in some manner. On the other hand, if you have the agony of defeat, you need some time to process that emotionally. You need to let the agony peak. And you don't want it to completely dissipate. So it's not tomorrow that we're going to be assessing this. But... The agony itself, if it's real, will take some time and you're not ready to do your assessment yet. So that's where I've become stronger and stronger and my 
actually passionate belief that the judgment occurs, but not the assessment until later on, if you're engaging the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. So you come to four o'clock, you've crossed that line, you've either succeeded or you've failed, you've felt the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat, you move into your planning, you do that for an hour. In the old school, but a lot of people do it other ways, so that's just an example. There are other ways to do it. Then you leave the office. Yes. You either go home or you do something else, and, is the, and, and what you do at that point is dependent on your judgment? No, 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 no. Uh, well, yes. If you're going to celebrate your victory, then your judgment absolutely does inform something. You need to find a way to celebrate. Each day. Daily celebration is a critical part of the finish. Uh, you know, maybe it should be included as another step, but I view this all as part of step four still, right? On the other hand, whatever you're going to do in processing your agony, it's probably not going to be all that different. I mean, you're still going to eat dinner no matter what. You know, maybe if you have a spouse or a family member, uh, an adult child that you're going to talk these things through with, whatever, right? However, none of that is yet the assessment. So I'm picturing the assessment where step five, maybe after dinner. Let's talk about that. The assessment. What does that look like? Here's where we find one of two most important ancient sources. So Pythagoras who died around uh, 500 BC, laid out the mourning process, the step one where you visualize. Actually, he combined waking up and visualizing. I'm the one who separates them. Pythagoras wanted you to visualize your entire day before you got out of bed. I don't agree with that, for, as we've discussed extensively. However, it's not that I oppose it. It's just not what I teach, right? But he absolutely, we know that Pythagoras in his cult uh, in Calabria back before 500 BC, he had his people do this. He taught them to visualize their day with their eyes shut while they're awake after they awaken. Well, the real part of the assessment, and he also combined five and six in a way that I do not. Uh, he had you do your assessment as you were falling asleep at night. And he had three questions that he taught that we know. What did I do well? What did I do poorly? And what will I do better tomorrow? Now, he did not have his people write things down. And I believe in writing. And that's a huge part of why I separate numbers one and two and numbers four, five, and six. I separate all of those because I believe in writing. And most especially when you have failed. So your judgment at four is that you failed. Before you're getting ready for bed, I want you to write a failure analysis. I believe in success analysis. I'm not very good at it. And I don't do it methodically or ritualistically. I may in the future, but I never have. Uh, the thing is, I really believe in celebration. And so if I have to pick between analyzing a success and celebrating it, I'm going to go get a martini. I'm, I'm going to go have a good meal. I'm going to go to a movie in the evening or whatever, right? Um, I believe in celebrating victory. And analyzing just feels like another task. So it feels a little bit almost like a punishment if I have to analyze my victory. But when it comes to failure... Failure offers me every learning I need in order to win. 
And so I believe in written failure analysis. However, let's say you're not like me and you don't want to write your failure analysis. Well, Pythagoras guidance. What did you do well? What did you do poorly? And what will you do better tomorrow? You could, you could search the world over and never come up with stronger wisdom than what he gave us 2,500 years ago. In, in a future episode, we'll get into failure analysis very deeply, I'm sure. What, what would be just uh, an overview of the assessment process here, the, the, the fifth element of the daily success, where you found, you know, you've passed a judgment that you failed for the day, you want to do the assessment, you want to take the learning from it. What's, uh, what's that look like? I'll give you one of my favorites, and it's one I'm hugely guilty of. I talk too much. I'm in a call. I've got a very interested person on the other end of the line. I get excited. And instead of listening, I speak. And I speak and speak and speak. And I turn their enthusiasm into, let me get the hell out of here. I talk too much. Okay, so that's that's an example of one thing, of, 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 a, of a way, of an assessment that you perform. That you take, you well, yeah, but know. that's actually a failure analysis. Yeah. Okay. See, the, the judgment was I didn't move forward. So this was in this case, right? I didn't fill it out for you. I'll fill it out a little right now. So this was the person that I woke up newing in the morning. This is my opportunity today. I'm going to move this thing forward today, right? So this is my big one. This is my one most important thing. I get this right, I'm going to have victory for the day. If I mess it up, I'm going to have defeat for the day. You with me? Yeah. Okay, so then I have this call, great person, I already love them, they already love me, and then brrr, I just blather. Well, obviously I don't get the decision that I would have gotten otherwise, and that is the failure to judge. The assessment was like, how did this happen? And so my favorite form of failure analysis is just, what went wrong? Tying that then. You know, you, 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 tying that back to where we started, falling asleep. So we've gone through the process of finishing, passed the judgment, and you did the planning, and you either did the celebration or, or, or went through the process of assessing what went wrong or what you did wrong and what you have to improve upon. Yes. From there, we're coming full circle back to the end of the day or we're falling asleep. How do we tie one day to the next? Let me just add one more thing to number five, and then I'll go right to number six. There in number five, I already know. I know the answer for talking too much. It's to care more about what the other person is thinking and feeling than I care about myself. I know that answer. This is an ancient answer for me. I've known this for decades. And I've known for decades that I talk too much. Right? So this is ancient knowledge for me. I tap into it and I go, maybe I can call this person again. Maybe not tomorrow. Maybe it's next. But I can visualize reconnecting with this person and correcting for my failure. Right? I can visualize that. That's all still part of the assessment because I know the answer. Or another element of the assessment would be, all right, so what went wrong being the most important question? It gets me real, right? Gets me out of my ego excuses and baloney. And then the next one is, how can it be fixed? So I want both of those still in the assessment, yes? 
Well, be it ancient knowledge or brand new knowledge that I've come up with as a theory that I'm going to test, in either case, it's the fix that I'm going to visualize whenever that's appropriate. Now, let's say it had to do with something more mechanical like the plan for the day, right? So let's say I only got 80% of the plan done, but the reason why I didn't get the other 20% done is that I just wasn't focused enough during the day. I really could have, and I know that, and so I can visualize whatever my distractions were today that I surrendered to, my lack of discipline, how I just played around instead of doing the work. And so when I'm looking to the fix, I can see a more disciplined day tomorrow. You with me so far? Yes. All right. So now we're heading into number six. That fix is kind of like the baton you pass, like in a uh, medley, a relay race, right? The baton that gets passed from number five to number six is the fix itself. So at the most, again, mundane and practical of levels, um, less time spent on the internet when I should be calling. Right? So some fix of that nature that's going to be immediately executed the next day is the thing I want to take with me into, you know, through my evening, whatever I do before, you know, getting into bed, laying down. I haven't fallen asleep yet. I absolutely need to see that fix before I fall asleep. And it may be that the fix will inspire deeper questions like, why have I never been so good at discipline? Why have I allowed myself through my entire life to set up these plans that I really intend to do, but I never get them done? So, and you might not consciously think any of those questions. They're going to be there for you, right? So there's going to be the fix itself, getting your plan done tomorrow. But there's going to be causes deep within who you are, within your entire story. Where have you been? Where are you going? How are you going to get there? Where these are transformational decisions that you make not only through the night while you sleep or in the morning when you're visualizing your day and whatnot, but actually through the very pattern of your life itself. And so having this fix that you bring from step five with you before you fall asleep, it begins to build a continuity day to day to day, week to week, etc., through time, where all of this begins to be the definitive elements of your life story itself. There's more. This is the other place where I have to bring up ancient knowledge. And that is in the book of Genesis. We are told there in the creation myth that the evening and the morning were the first day. The myth, the story of creation in the book of Genesis takes us through this day by day by day. So for the second day, for the third day, for the fourth day, the evening and the morning were the fourth day. In this story, we see that, and we're also told, at the end of the day, each and every day, and God rested. This is absolutely critical. And so, and by the way, our knowledge of when the book of Genesis was finished is right about the exact same time of Pythagoras, about 500 BC. It has roots that we believe date back to about 1,000 BC. So this is like 3,000-year-old knowledge that if we, and we're told, in the book of Genesis, in the creation story, that we were created in the image of God. We are created to follow God's example as per this story. So God does his work during the day. He finishes and he has to rest. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day or whichever day. Well, that's exactly why we started out on number six first. 
And that's why as we're ending up right now uh, with number six again, having gone through the entire workday, you want to see it as if the workday were your work of creating your success, exactly the equal of God's work in creating the world in the story in the book of Genesis. And so as you're coming into your final steps here, you want to have exactly that clarity that it is as you fall asleep tonight that tomorrow's work has commenced. So a successful day is not defined by what takes place between steps three and four. You can have a success or you can have a failure on the basis of what you set out to achieve, but a successful day is actually defined by going through elements one, two, three, four, five, and six of waking up, of visualizing, starting, finishing, assessing, and falling asleep such that even if you didn't achieve what you needed to, you succeeded that day because you are moving yourself forward. And that is evident by the work that you do in assessing a day where you don't have an obvious outward achievement, that there's learning to take from that, that you're going to then employ in the next day, and you're going to have a better day in the next day. Meaning today, regardless of what actually happened, was successful because you went through steps one through six. Absolutely right. And now an addendum to episode two with an update and some clarification. In the week since we've released parts one and two of the suppressed elements of daily success, we've gotten a lot of feedback. We've had a lot of conversations with people about it. What have you learned? Well, the most exciting thing, Nico, is the instantaneous impact it's had. And I really don't know how many I've spoken with between 10 and 15 people who have all absolutely already listened to it and gone into execution. And so the immediate impact has been just stunning to me. That's one of the fastest kinds of impacts I've ever seen. Um, and what we found is that people can do pretty much anything they want with it. It's a totally forgiving structure, all six of the steps. And I'll talk about those six steps and what I've learned about each of them and combining them in a moment. Uh, but you can like pick any of them. And if you do any of them at all, at any point in time, you don't have to be consistent. You don't have to be good at it. Just the attempt has an immediate impact for benefit that people instantly feel. What's, what's an example of an impact that has been reported to you even under those conditions where they haven't been consistent with it? It's only been a week or less, yet there's been an instantaneous impact. Well, the act of visualizing your day transforms the way people think about their performance. And one of the most uh, immediate things that I've seen people doing is breaking their day down into much smaller parts so they can visualize all these smaller parts with their much smaller objectives that they hit or miss. And this is like, it's the first time they do it, to look at the entire day, visualizing it, breaking it down into smaller parts, and they're getting, they've got more energy for the day, they're flowing through the day, the day is moving more rapidly, and they're getting... I don't know the measure, but two, three, four times as much as they were doing like the day before. So you, you said that you don't have to implement all six nope. elements at once. So this isn't, you don't have to completely transform your day, in other words. No, you don't. Uh, let's say that you got the idea of waking up in a different manner when you actually wake up in the morning and laying there in bed and... Uh, accessing what your real purpose is, your single definite purpose. If you just do that for one day, that day will go differently. You don't have to do it again the next day either. I mean, the ideal would be that you do it every day, right? But people don't automatically become consistent. One time they do it, they're, they're feeling an impact that very day. 
Is there one element you'd recommend that if, you know, they're not feeling like they can completely reimagine their day, that focus on this one first? Absolutely, yes. It is what we put into the original uh, part one of the podcast, number two, visualizing. And what you really want to do is find some challenge that has some meaning to you, and you want to be able to tie that challenge to an outcome. Um, Yes, you want to win or lose today, but you want to be doing it for a reason. So for recruiters, there's always placements to close. They want to find, you know, if they need to do more marketing, they want to envision that marketing, want to visualize it. If they've got an open search and they have some idea about the qualifications of a good candidate, but they really haven't making those recruiting calls, visualizing that before they do it, instant impact. You mentioned combining steps. Yeah. Uh, Some people, when they wake up in the morning, they're really not remembering their dreams or anything else, but they can visualize their day. So that would be steps one and two being combined. I recommend they be separate. You know, in the podcast, in the first part, I talk about what you're doing when you're waking up separately from what you're doing when you're visualizing later in the morning for me after coffee, right? But some people will absolutely like, and I talk about this in the second part of the podcast, uh, Pythagoras absolutely combined uh, at the end of the day uh, assessing the day with falling asleep into a single element right single one act so that you lay down and he doesn't want you to fall asleep until you've assessed your day and then you can fall asleep and so that would be numbers five and six being combined truth is you don't even have to do them in any sort of consecutive order uh, such as say number one and three some people actually wake up fresh ready to get started working instantly. So they wake up, maybe they, you know, maybe a shower and and brushing teeth or whatever, but immediately getting started working. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Uh, Also, uh, the other one that I'm saying quite a bit is numbers four and five. So finishing and assessing. So the moment people finish, like, what did I do well? What did I not do so well? What am I going to improve on tomorrow? The very moment that they finish up the day so that they're doing it at the shop and not at home after dinner, the way I talked about, because again, this can be combined. So I want to repeat that this is a completely forgiving set of steps. If you do any of them on any day, you're going to improve that day. You don't have to repeat them again the next day. It'd be good if you could. And you can pick and choose. You don't have to do them all. You can do just one. You can combine them. You can do anything you want with them. They all work. They all work individually and they all work in concert with others in whatever way naturally is most easy for you to do. Anything else? Uh, Yeah. Um, The fact is that There is a strong relationship, but maybe even this is a companion volume uh, between this and our core article, The Switch. Mm. And so we probably ought to give them, uh, for those who have not read that, we probably ought to give them the website. I'll I'll put a link in in the description. Okay, cool. And so if somebody is like, listen to the podcast, has not yet read The Switch, they absolutely want to uh, download their free copy of The Switch and start studying and reading it uh, in concert with this. It's kind of like The Switch could be considered the philosophy and or the theory, certainly the introduction to some of the most important core concepts, and that this is actually the day-to-day practice. So this is where we the rubber really hits the road and people start taking a totally different kind of action than ever before. And so this relationship back and forth, again, if you've already gotten started with uh, the advice in the podcast, uh, then when you start to read the switch, you're going to go deeper and deeper. So it's a forgiving process, a forgiving structure. You can combine steps. You can focus on one at a time instead of trying to completely reinvent your day. And yes, this is absolutely the 
kind of like the tactical implementation of yes. the switch. Anything else that you've learned? Uh, yeah, there really are people who become, once they get started with this, uh, the guidance about the dreaming. I've had several people start to tell me they can access their dreams, like within days of following the practice. It's kind of amazing to them. What and do you mean access? Most adults go through their lives thinking they don't dream at night, or if they did, they just have no memory of them. Well, people executing these steps start remembering their dreams. They start noticing, actually what they really think is that they had for the first time vivid dreams. They haven't had vivid dreams in years that they remember. Truth is they really don't remember. They have had the vivid dreams. So that's what I mean by access. So, so but people are, but they tell me, the way they say it to me is, you know, I just started having dreams. <laughs> and so they're accessing their dreams. They're remembering these vivid dreams. Now, immediately, they're not seeing the connection between the dreaming and their daily work. That's not a connection that's happening immediately in these first few days. But with a little bit of coaching, we're going to get there, I think, within a week or two more, maybe a month. Uh, and so at any rate, those people have also been asking me for source material. I've been studying these things all my life. It goes all the way back to my sophomore year in college, initial studies and whatnot. And for people who are interested and want to dig down deep into it and, and learn more, I'll be putting together um, a sources page, kind of like a little mini bibliography, but it's going to have a, a, a small a number of sources I can give, and then I'll give a little introduction for each one. So if anybody's interested, they can check it out. But I have to emphasize, you don't need to do any additional reading unless you're interested. If you're not interested, don't think you're supposed to. Just execute. Great. Well, thank you for the extra info. Well, it's been a blast. I can hardly wait for our next update. I would like to thank everyone for listening to this two-part episode of Basic Business Thinking and the Addendum. I want to ensure you that we here at TheConciliory.com are driven by our passion to help you get the most meaning, the most power, and the most profit out of your everyday, and in so doing, build the strongest and best business possible. And remember, business is a hunt, and luck is overrated. So from us at TheConciliory.com, good hunting. Good hunting. Good hunting. Good hunting. Good hunting. In the week since we've released parts one and two of the suppressed elements of daily success, we've gotten a lot of feedback, we've had a lot of conversations with people about it. What have you learned? Well, the most exciting thing, Nico, is the instantaneous impact it's had. And I really don't know how many I've spoken with between 10 and 15 people who have all absolutely already listened to it and gone into execution. And so the immediate impact has been just stunning to me. That's one of the fastest kinds of impacts I've ever seen. Um, and what we found is that people can do pretty much anything they want with it. It's a totally forgiving structure, all six of the steps. And I'll talk about those six steps and what I've learned about each of them and combining them in a moment. Uh, but you can like pick any of them. And if you do any of them at all, at any point in time, you don't have to be consistent. You don't have to be good at it. Just the attempt has an immediate impact for benefit that people instantly feel. What's, what's an example of an impact that has been reported to you even under those conditions where they haven't been consistent with it, it's only been a week or less, yet there's been an instantaneous impact? Well, the act of visualizing your day transforms the way people think about their performance. And one of the most uh, immediate things that I've seen people doing is breaking their day down into much smaller parts so that they can visualize all these smaller parts with their much smaller objectives that they hit or miss 
and this is like, it's the first time they do it, to look at the entire day, visualizing it, breaking it down into smaller parts, and they're getting, they've got more energy for the day, they're flowing through the day, the day is moving more rapidly, and they're getting, I don't know the measure, but two, three, four times as much done as they were doing, like the day before. So you, you said that you don't have to implement all six nope. elements at once. So this isn't, you don't have to completely transform your day, in other words. No, you don't. Uh, let's say that you got the idea of waking up in a different manner when you actually wake up in the morning and laying there in bed and uh, accessing what your real purpose is, your single definite purpose. If you just do that for one day, that day will go differently. You don't have to do it again the next day either. I mean, the ideal would be that you do it every day, right? But people don't automatically become consistent. One time they do it, they're, they're feeling an impact that very day. Is there one element you'd recommend that if, you know, they're not feeling like they can completely reimagine their day, that focus on this one first? Absolutely, yes. It is what we put into the original uh, part one of the podcast, number two, visualizing. And what you really want to do is find some challenge that has some meaning to you. And you want to be able to tie that challenge to an outcome. Um, yes, you want to win or lose today, but you want to be doing it for a reason. So like for recruiters, there's always placements to close. They want to find, you know, if they need to do more marketing, they want to envision that marketing, they want to visualize it. If they've got an open search and they have some idea about the qualifications of a good candidate, but they really haven't making those recruiting calls, visualizing that before they do it, instant impact. You mentioned combining steps. Yeah. Uh, some people... When they wake up in the morning, they're really not remembering their dreams or anything else, but they can visualize their day. So that would be steps one and two being combined. I recommend they be separate. You know, in the podcast, in the first part, I talk about what you're doing when you're waking up separately from what you're doing when you're visualizing later in the morning for me after coffee, right? But some people will absolutely like, and I talk about this in the second part of the podcast, uh, Pythagoras absolutely combined uh, at the end of the day, uh, assessing the day with falling asleep into a single element, right? Single one act so that you lay down and he doesn't want you to fall asleep until you've assessed your day and then you can fall asleep. And so that would be numbers five and six being combined. Truth is, you don't even have to do them in any sort of consecutive order, uh, such as say number one and three. Some people actually wake up fresh, ready to get started working instantly. So they wake up, maybe they, you know, maybe a shower and, and brushing teeth or whatever, but immediately getting started working. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Uh, also, uh, the other one that I'm saying quite a bit is numbers four and five. So finishing and assessing. So the moment people finish, like, what did I do well? What did I not do so well? What am I going to improve on tomorrow? The very moment that they finish up the day so that they're doing it at the shop and not at home after dinner the way I talked about. Because again, this can be combined. So I want to repeat that this is a completely forgiving set of steps. If you do any of them on any day, you're going to improve that day. You don't have to repeat them again the next day. It'd be good if you could. And you can pick and choose. You don't have to do them all. You can do just one. You can combine them. You can do anything you want with them. They all work. They all work individually and they all work in concert with others in whatever way naturally is most easy for you to do. Anything else? Uh, yeah. Um, the fact is that there is a strong relationship, but maybe even this is a companion volume, uh, between this and our core article, The Switch. Uh, 
And so we probably ought to give them, uh, for those who have not read that, we probably ought to give them the website. I'll, I'll put a link in the, in the description. Okay, cool. And so if somebody is like, listen to the podcast, has not yet read The Switch, they absolutely want to uh, download their free copy of The Switch and start studying and reading it uh, in concert with this. It's kind of like The Switch could be considered the philosophy and or the theory, certainly the introduction to some of the most important core concepts, and that this is actually the day-to-day practice. So this is where we the rubber really hits the road and people start taking a totally different kind of action than ever before. And so this relationship back and forth, again, if you've already gotten started with uh, the advice in the podcast, uh, then when you start to read the switch, you're going to go deeper and deeper. So it's a forgiving process, a forgiving structure. You can combine steps. You can focus on one at a time instead of trying to completely reinvent your day. And yes, this is absolutely the kind of like the tactical implementation of the switch. Anything else that you've learned? Uh, Yeah, there really are people who become, once they get started with this, uh, the guidance about the dreaming. I've had several people start to tell me they can access their dreams, like within days of following the practice. It's kind of amazing to them. What do you mean access? Most adults go through their lives thinking they don't dream at night, or if they did, they just have no memory of them. Well, people executing these steps start remembering their dreams. They start noticing, actually what they really think is that they had for the first time vivid dreams. They haven't had vivid dreams in years that they remember. Truth is they really don't remember. They have had the vivid dreams. So that's what I mean by access. So, so, but people are, but they tell me the way they say it to me is, you know, I just started having dreams. <laughs> and so they're accessing their dreams. They're remembering these vivid dreams. Now, immediately they're not seeing the connection between the dreaming and their daily work. That's not a connection that's happening immediately in these first few days. But with a little bit of coaching, we're going to get there, I think, within a week or two more, maybe a month. Uh, and so at any rate, those people have also been asking me for source material. I've been studying these things all my life. It goes all the way back to my sophomore year in college, initial studies and whatnot. And for people who are interested and want to dig down deep into it and and learn more, I'll be putting together um, a sources page, kind of like a little mini bibliography, but it's going to have a a small number of sources I can give, and then I'll give a little introduction for each one. So if anybody's interested, they can check it out. But I have to emphasize, you don't need to do any additional reading unless you're interested. If you're not interested, don't think you're supposed to. Just execute. Great. Thank you for the extra info. Well, it's been a blast. I can hardly wait for our next update. Hardly wait for our next update.